Hey, everybody, it's Ellie Noss with Atomic Moms. We're a weekly podcast celebrating the beauty and diversity of modern parenting. If you haven't listened to us before, we explore the many options we have when it comes to conception, birth, and raising a child. We interview celebrities, experts, other parents, uh, and caregivers, and we weigh overshare about our own experiences. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Atomic Moms. We love to hear from you guys. And uh, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can just go to iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms, or you can find us on SoundCloud or any other podcast app. Hey. Hey, Miss Bianca. It's Ellie. I'm in studio, and we are going to be sharing with our listeners our episode with Dr. Shafali, uh, an incredible parenting expert who's been on Oprah many times, but I just thought we could take a couple quick minutes, if you have a second, uh, to share with our (laughs) listeners what's going on. We just wanted to hear your voice. (laughs) uh, What is it called? You sneak attacked me. I sneak attacked you. What are you doing right now? (laughs) What are you wearing? (laughs) Um, What am I wearing? I'm wearing my gym clothes. I just got home from the gym and I'm about to jump in the shower to uh, go for a meeting. Could I have a minute or two for my for my amazing co-host. Woohoo. Okay. So yesterday Bianca and I went on a date with our children and our husbands to the zoo. Yes. And, and what did uh, my daughter it was a lot of fun. And what did my daughter say to your daughter? Or about your daughter? Well, I think we should preface it by saying that Ellie gave Sabrina some pointers on the way to the zoo. I said not don't to mess with Magnolia. I said please don't hit her. Don't hit Maggie Moon. <laughs> And, um, but then we got there and actually Magnolia ended up hitting Sabrina. (laughs) And then, uh, I looked over and I thought I heard Sabrina say, I like her. And I looked at Ellie and Ellie was laughing and I said, Oh, that's so sweet. And Ellie said, Oh yeah. And then my husband said, I don't think that's what Sabrina said. I think Sabrina. I think Sabrina said, "I don't like her." And she I looked said, at Ellie. And I, I said, not like her. I not I like not her. I not like her. <laughs> <laughs> I think because Adam was giving her some special attention. Um, yeah, Sabrina and, doesn't um, want another woman around. Yeah. So, um, uh, it was it was fun though. We got some really cute pictures that we'll have to post. We did of them looking at the monkeys and, and it was so nice because I feel like I haven't seen you at all. And, um, it was just so awesome to spend a little quality. It was our first family date that we've had. I know. Isn't that crazy? And it was so cute because yeah. the dads did the carousel together with the daughters. Um, it was adorable. Yeah. So it was adorable. And we got to catch up and just kind of talk about what's going on. And I was laughing because I was complaining that, um, since I've been back at work, Magnolia refuses to nap when I'm home. Um, because I think she's like, doesn't want to miss out on our time together. So if I'm home, there's no nap happening. But, but if my nanny takes her to put her to sleep, um, during the week, she literally climbs into the crib. (laughs) (laughs) And you said that you sometimes, uh, uh, bring in a babysitter just so that Sabrina will nap. Exactly. And so did she nap for you yesterday? Um, she did because we, we drove, she napped in the car on the way well, home. Well, guess who did not nap at all? Miss Sabrina Bean did not no take way. a moment's rest, which after a day morning at the zoo, by uh, bedtime, she, she was she was a treat. Um, so for our <laughs> listeners this week, we are going to be playing for you our interview with Dr. Shafali, Oprah's parenting expert. And we're actually going to be doing a an event with Dr. Shafali coming up in early December. So check that out. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners, Miss Bianca? Um, just that I miss you guys and I, I have definitely missed doing the podcast and um, I, I had a little like breakdown last night actually with, with Michael, um, just cause I feel so overwhelmed and, um, trying to get everything done. I feel like I'm on this hamster wheel to nowhere and, uh, and it's rough, man. I just feel like, um, you know, the hardest thing is I think how hard we are on ourselves because you just feel like you, there's never you never hit like the end of your to-do list, right? It's like you never can is, get everything that you want to get done. Which done. is so ironic because 
um, or timely, I should say, uh, because with Dr. Shafali, our talk will be about from doing to being. So, yes, <laughs> I am trying to. I'm trying to implement that a lot more, and I definitely find that when I am uh, a little more gentle with myself, it's a lot better. Uh, I'm a lot better for me. I'm a lot better for my husband, and I'm definitely a lot better for my for my. Um, daughter, but I'm super excited to do that talk with you. And you guys were trying to figure out a way in which we can um, hopefully maybe get a little piece of it or maybe the whole thing to bring to you guys. That would be so awesome. But so awesome. We've got to figure out if that's possible. So subscribe um, on iTunes. And also yeah. next week, our episode, I had a three mom panel uh, where we are discussing postpartum depression and maternity. Amazing. Uh, maternity mental health. So check out next week's, I'm promising you, I I just listened to it. It gives me chills because it's three moms Mm -hmm. and me just talking about our own experiences. There's a lot of laughs. It's super honest and truthful. It's one you're going to want to share with friends because it's an hour of talking about something that we usually only hear little sound bites about. So we really get in it and I'm super excited about it. So definitely subscribe. So you'll get next week's episode on that. And from Bianca and me, uh, trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. <laughs> and rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs> rock on, Atomic Moms. We'll be right back with Dr. Shivali. Hey, guys. We're back. We are just beside ourselves to introduce Dr. Shafali. Welcome. Yay. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Good. This is Ellie. And this is Bianca. Dr. Shafali, first, I just have to say that I'm obsessed with Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. And every Sunday, I would nurse my daughter while watching the show. And Bianca uh-huh. and I both loved your episode. And in your Super Soul Sunday episode, you mention celebrating the ordinariness of our children. And so I was wondering if you would be willing to share with our listeners what that looks like to you and its importance. Sure. So when we um, embark on this parenting journey, uh, we are really not conscious of a a whole subtext, a psychological subtext that's going on within us. And I think my main uh, focus in my work is to make parents aware of their inner subtext. So one of the the grand subtexts, the grand scripts of the parenting unconscious is that, you know, our children will come into this world and, you know, suddenly I'm going to have purpose and meaning and an identity. And then that's just the start of the pressure we put on our children. And then we want them to, you know, fill our inner needs and, and, you know, fulfill every desire and fantasy that we can fulfill in our lives. And we really begin to unconsciously set them up to kind of, uh, you know, fill in this idealized image of who we wanted to be, who we think we should be, and how our lives should have looked. And we put all this onto our children. So when I talk about celebrating the ordinariness, uh, of course, every child is unique and special and so fabulous. But my focus to is to take that pressure off the our children, you know, stop treating our children as if they are here to be this idealized self that you could never be and this, uh, create this idealized life that you could never have. And instead, understand them for being just human. And they are, yes, they are ordinary, but in that ordinariness is their extraordinariness. We don't need them to become extraordinary to then see them as extraordinary. Mm-hmm. They're inherent being is worthy of celebration. And that's what I'm trying to show parents that stop looking to create something out of your child, stop making them this product and then making them feel validated or worthy or as if they are, you know, recognized as spirits. They are all inherently already carrying that within them. And it's up to us as parents to see that jewel and honor that. So then our children are free to then become whoever they wish to become. But their becoming is not uh, what creates the value. Their being is what creates it. We're already tearing up. (laughs) Dr. Shafali, I, like many others, first became aware of you as Ellie said on Oprah. And I have to tell you that I had some dear little friends, younger friends of mine who are having some trouble communicating with their parents. 
and who would come to me and my husband because, you know, we are doing things that we wanted to do and, and going after our dreams. And um, they would reach out to us and say, I, my mom or dad doesn't think that this is a viable option for me in my life and all of these different, you know, reasons why I need to be practical. And um, I actually sent them your videos and it really helped them to talk to their parents and to communicate. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that because um, what a, what an amazing gift to give to kids to empower themselves to know that I, I think for, for my friends in particular, it made them feel like they had a choice and a say in the matter. So thank you for that. Of course, you know, so many children feel so disempowered and trapped by their parental fears, uh, you know, their parents' fears, their parents' inadequacies, their parents' ideas of who they should be. And while we as parents, I think, are very well-intentioned and sometimes spot on, you know, if your child really doesn't have a talent to be a singer, you don't want them to think they can be the next Adele. However, (laughs) you know, our practicalities sometimes suffuse their their own spirit and and their own desire to find themselves. You know, I always tell parents, you know, don't, you don't have to be the Simon Cowell. Thank God there are Simon Cowells out there in the world who will put your child in their place and <laughs> teach them what they're talented in. You have to be their biggest cheerleader. Now, this doesn't mean that you, you know, of course, falsely lead your children. But I think the world and society will do a good job at teaching our children what their talents are, I think we need to show our children that we support their endeavor. We support their quest. We support their, their discovery of self. And, and then if they fail or succeed is irrelevant because we are focused on the process, on their growth and the transformation, not the end result. But I think, you know, misguided as we often become as parents by our fear, and desire to control our children, that we only focus on the outcome. And that's where we create dysfunction. What do you, so you talk a lot about, you know, you caution against the damaging effects of fixating on the external or on our ego's need for the doing and the succeeding rather than on our essence. And, but what do you say to parents who are afraid that if they don't keep high standards that their kids won't grow up to reach their full potential? So instead, I always tell parents, you know, shift the energy from creating high standards on the externals because those are really not in our control as much as we think they are. But instead, shift the gear and go to the child's internals. So yes, have high achievement goals, but for the internal aspects of the being. For example, instead of saying to the child, you know, you need to go to Harvard and Yale and and Smith and Swarthmore, you teach your child to focus on, you know, you stay in the moment and be motivated in the moment and, and express your love for your learning of whatever it is, biology, botany, archaeology, whatever it is you love, find that and keep pressing that our children need to find their heart and keep giving them the courage to take the risks to find and discover and and keep uh, finding their purpose. And then I believe organically they will land up at whatever high achieving place they need to end up at. We don't need to trust the external on them in an artificial manner. We need to create the internal awakening so that the external happens organically. You know, I can just look in my life. No one told me I should write books or no one told me I should love working with people. It came from an inner awakening. And I think those are the true success stories. When children can say, I am really doing what I love and I found my passion and my meaning. And that stands the long term, right? Then the parent doesn't have to be hounding them. So the parent's work, I believe, is to, you know, really fertilize that inner garden and then how whatever tree blossoms is up for the child's discretion. Um, but I think we, we kind of do it the wrong way. We focus on the external and then we push and pull and, and have conflicts with our children as we yank them there. Um, I think we need to spend the energy on the internal, on the internal awakening. Isn't it so true as well? I mean, you know, it's almost as if we are playing God a little bit in this idea that we think we know the journey that our children are supposed to take when in fact, a lot of times there's a back door or a back alley that most of us arrive at where we want to or are going to be headed. And I find that even in my own life, um, you know, I really... 
I really wanted to be an actor. I loved performing. And, you know, both my parents were in the medical profession. And so for them, it's like school, 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 school. And that's what they knew. Um, however, I had to take, uh, it took going to school and having a little bit of a mental breakdown or a big mental breakdown. Um, and, and then finding myself through that, that allowed me to start on this journey. It's like, sometimes it's really hard to see our kids struggle, but sometimes the struggle is part of their journey. But that's exactly it. I think you hit hit it on the nose. I think in our design, it all comes from fear. You know, I think the yeah. more parents control, it's because they're more fearful. And it's really their own anxieties at play. And so my, a large part of my work is quelling the parental anxiety. It has nothing to do with the child. <laughs> but I think you're right. In our desire to shield our children and protect our children, we actually set them up for never really understanding their courage and their strength and their resolve. You know, we can't treat them as fragile. You know, instead of saying, go to Harvard because you're so capable, thinking that we're creating this mindset of capability, what we're actually telling them is that, you know, here, I'm going to lay it all out and here's the map and here, here's where I think you need to go because if you, you know, dare explore anything else, you may fall apart. And and then what if you fail? You know, so we give them the map and, and the destination. But what we are actually teaching them is that, you know, be afraid. Uh, only look at the uh, goal that, that looks good on the surface and just keep shooting for that. And I'm going to tell you how to get there versus telling our children, you're going to find what you love. Just listen to that heart. And then you're on your own because you're going to have to suffer through it and work hard and have the passion because I can't do that for you. My job is just to keep the gateways open and create the space so you listen to your heart so you don't have to go the convoluted route of going to Harvard and going to medical school and then realizing, oops, I wanted to be a dancer. So keep listening to your heart. Save people from so many midlife crises. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so teaching children that finding their heart is the hard work. That's the hard work. Like keep attuned to your heart and keep having the courage. And then you're on your own because I can't help you then. Then you're going to have to be passionate and determined and hardworking, but you have the skills. And yeah, there may be a few missteps while you clarify what your heart really wants, but that's what life is about. So then actually you're teaching your kids to have sturdy results, then they're always connected with the heart. So there is no failure. They can say to themselves, okay, you know, that didn't work out so well, but I thought that's what my heart wanted and I tried it and I really worked hard, but it didn't work out. So I'm going to go to the next thing. So you're teaching your kids that there is no fear of failure because they're just attuned to themselves. Yeah. I think, I think that's failure proof. Well, and, and in um, your book, Out of Control, you say, you talk about that fear and you say, uh, of course, we justify our fear by telling ourselves we love our children so much. And I think that is the confusing factor for us is that it feels like it comes out of a place of love. Um, but can you talk about where that actually comes from? Right. So as I said in the beginning, there are all these really dangerous, uh, tricky subtexts of the parental unconscious. And one of them is oh, it's out of love. I love my child so much. But love is really a, a misnomer here because love is truly without conditions or impositions or control. This is love out of, you know, love for my own well-being, love for my own egoic status so I can show off at the party or make sure that everyone looks at me as if I'm the best parent on earth, love for my own sense of neediness and dependency that my child work out okay so I feel okay about myself. You know, it's love that is really couched in so much unconsciousness that it really becomes need and control. And that's how our children feel it. Children will tell you, well, that didn't feel like love. You know, that just feels horrible to me. Mm -hmm. So we need to listen to our children. Our children will tell us what feels like love to them. What really feels like love to them is, uh, is trust and, and having trust in our faith that we are opening the gateways to the right kind of attunement for our children. And we're not doing that. You see, that's why we're on this, on this roller coaster to creating this product out of our children's lives because we know we're not really attuned to their deepest desires and attuned with a state of presence because we don't live our lives like that. We live caught up in the maelstrom of all this, you know, buzz around achievement and getting somewhere and looking good and which is all fine as long as we know what that is. It's okay to, you know, to, for a mom to say, you know what, I feel insecure and I, I, 
I, I put Botox, so I, you know, what are you wear Botox, put Botox, I don't even know what the verb is, but, but that's okay, as long as we call it what it is and say it's insecurity, but don't say it's something else, right, or say that I'm really terrified my kid is going to, you know, not go to Harvard because it'll look bad for, you know, I'll feel bad in public. Call it what it is. Call it yeah. your inadequacy. And then that's fine, but don't put it on your kid. So we, we put so much on our children in the name of love when it's really our own anxiety and inadequacy. And in Out of Control, you say, unless we identify and untangle our emotional patterns, we will unwittingly foster dysfunctional behavior in our children. And so what I keep getting from your work is basically that it's our job as mothers to figure our shit out so we don't <laughs> screw up our kids. So in the moment, in the moment, it's moment. And it's so easy, really, because our children are blunt and brutal. They are showing us in all sorts of ways. The defiant child is saying, hey, mom, stop it, back off and bangs the door. The anxious child is saying, listen, this is not working. I'm being bathed in some sort of like mess from your ancestors. Can you please like look at it? Oh, my God, that's genius. Bathed in a mess of your ancestors. I'm going to save that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my stuff. You know, you're nervous. You're putting it on me. And so the anxious child is telling you, the defiant child is telling you, the withdrawn child is telling you, the, the kid who's gaming all the time and doesn't want to look at you and doesn't want to connect to you is telling you, you know, that something is amiss. And we have to pay attention moment after moment and kind of keep chiropractically connecting our spiritual spine, you know, and it's not out of, I'm not judging here. I am messing up every moment of my life with my child, but I'm just trying to listen and get it right. So I'm always correcting. You know, I tell my daughter, yeah, I messed up, but here's the correction. And let's correct and correct and correct. And what are we doing is not correcting the child. It's correcting our own alignment and getting into the moment and saying, okay, what does my child really need from me? What is my child really trying to say? Can I stop looking at the behavior and listen to the need? What does my child need? Does my child need me to be with clear boundaries right now? Am I really like giving her controversial, confusing messages all the time? Or, or does my child need me to connect to her right now or him? What is the real need? And going to that place takes presence. It takes quietening, quietening down our own mind and entering the heart. In Out of Control, you write, the patterns of behavior we witness in childhood become the template for our own way of parenting. So does a parent ever read your book and then go, oh, why did my parent make me their egoic fantasy? And how do I deal with this now? How, how can parents speak to their own parents about their childhood? I know. This stuff kind of, you know, yes, it's written for the parent child relationship, but it really then becomes about the parents' parents and unworking and undoing all the stuff that we were raised with. And it brings up resentment, you know, what, you know, what the hell I did everything for you. And, and look at me, I'm a basket case now in my forties. I can't even, you know, walk around with a sense of self or security. But then I tell parents, you know, the adults that, okay, we can go back and, you know, really get resentful and bitter and, and, you know, vent and crutch to our parents. But this book or my work is really about enlightening you to see that they were unconscious themselves. So yes, we are all byproducts of, of legacies of unconsciousness and pain and shame. So where do we end the cycle? Now, if you go back and now keep getting stuck in, in, in undoing what your parents did to you by, by getting angry with them, that's just now recreating more negative energy. It's up to you to break the cycle now. And this enlightenment will allow you to break it and, and not pass it on to your children. And what a powerful role you have now to undo. Yes, for the first 40 years of your life, you were this automaton to your parents' unconscious. Yes, I agree with you. But now you have power, you have the tools to, to break out of it and start living your most authentic life. So this is not about entering shame or resentment, because then we just get caught up in another cycle of bitterness. This is about breaking free and unchaining yourself to the legacies of the past and, and setting your children free. And yes, your life was a waste till now, perhaps. You may look at it as a waste, or you can look at it as, okay, I have so much now to, to make sh within me to make sure I don't pass this on to my children and to break generations free because of my enlightenment in the now. You know, what's interesting too is that um, I find that I, I obviously don't know this yet because Ellie and, and my daughters are still very young, two and, and just uh, 17 months. 
Um, but it's interesting that also I find that the older parents are, are now grandparents don't know when to stop parenting and, <laughs> and that maybe if we adopted this philosophy from the get go, I feel like the most common thing that I hear, sorry, mom, is, you know, well, you'll figure it out when you become a mother, you never stop mothering, but it's hard as an adult to be told things that you, you I, you know, I'll find myself being like, I'm going to. I'm an adult now. I'm almost 40 years old. <laughs> like I should be able to make my own decisions. How do you work with that in terms of uh, this need to continue to parent, to continue to fix, to continue to want to put your uh, mark on everything that your kids are doing? Yeah, that's not, you see, again, under the guise of parenting, she, you know, we have parents who just cross boundaries out of anxiety and then desire to be needed and to have a role and an identity. So what more beguiling and seductive a role than the saying, but I'm just being your parent or I'm just being loving. It's such a seductive trap, right? And it's so uh, designed to make the child feel guilty, right? So your mom makes you feel guilty because then she'll <laughs> immediately couch it as, but I was just, you know, and you figure it out. And when your daughter's ungrateful, like you're being to me, you'll see how hurtful it is. Right. And then we go on this big litany of, you know, guilt tripping our children when it's really not even parenting because I have a 12 year old and I feel like I'm almost finishing parenting because I can <laughs> that my my role as the central figure is finishing now and it's it's my inability to mourn that and let that go because I'm not feeling fulfilled in my life that I will keep on as central character I'm no longer the central character in my child's life and she's 12 so your mother's time is past and her or other grandparents inability to to mourn it it is a mourning because yeah. we were so invested, but to let it go already, right? Because you need to be fulfilled in your identity from another place. In fact, we needed to be fulfilled in our identity before we even got pregnant because our children should not give us more than, of course, what children give us, which is so much, but then finished. And then on the converse, I tell children when they become 40, so I would tell somebody like you or myself, okay, stop looking to your parents to be parented, right? Let them off the hook too. Yeah. Because I have I have 40 and 50 year olds saying, oh, my mother didn't see me and she didn't validate what I was saying and she didn't meet my need. And I go, enough, enough. She was unconscious. We can see that. We get that. Now you have to mother yourself and you have to soothe yourself. So we trap our parents too, right? We keep putting pressure on them to keep parenting us beyond what they need to, right? We need to grow up as well. So it works in all ways. This is yeah. the most powerful, intimate relationship of our lives. The one we share with our children and the one we share with our parents. And knowing the boundaries and knowing where we begin and they end is the key. And and it, it's all about us being grounded in our own sense of self. So we don't use our children beyond what we, you know, we can milk them till age 10, but then we need <laughs> to kind of start letting them be free and, and, you know, escape into the shadows and let them take center stage. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, uh, Ellie and I talk about all the time, we, we'd love to have someone on a, a real history buff or someone who can talk about parenting through the ages, because it would be so interesting to kind of, you know, survey how the landscape has changed. I mean, back in the day, you know, I mean, which day? <laughs> All the days. <laughs> but like, <laughs> kids were kids were much more in, you know independent. I mean, you you think about just even crossing the great frontier. Like you were thrown in the in the covered wagon, and you were go, you were witnessing things that nobody now would ever have to witness. Um, and so, it would just be interesting to see how parenting has changed over the course of of history. I, I think. I think, you know, I think that we romanticize that independence and, um, you know, believe it to be conscious, but I don't think it was, it was as unconscious. It was perhaps it just aired more on the side of just, you know, pure neglect or, you know, who wants to connect with children. <laughs> children were seen, it's to be seen, not Workers, heard. And, yeah. and now we're all about our children, right? Now they become like the precocious, precious products of our very existence. I think in both ways, uh, we've just swung from one side to the other side. But I think they both have been and can be inherently unconscious. You know, so I, I think the, the element that I'm trying to bring up in my work is not how it looks on the outside. Uh, it's not about throwing your children to the wolves tomorrow. That doesn't make you conscious today. Uh, it just, it's about what your child needs from you and paying attention to their development as spiritual beings versus 
parenting them just because you think you're, you know, you need to do it in a certain way or go with the trend. It's I'm, really being attuned to what their spiritual being needs, what their inner being needs. Right. I'm curious, have you been to a coffee shop lately or a restaurant and you've looked over at a child and a parent and gone, now that's conscious parenting. <laughs> have you seen any of that lately where you're just like, yeah, they got it. <laughs> Well, I think it's hard. You know, in my own life, I find consciousness escapes me most of the time. And it's that rare moment where you can really bond with your kid. Listen, you're asking for a lot of factors to be in alignment, right? The sun, the moon, the stars. And then the the child needs to be in a mood of receptivity. You need to be in that space of, you know, wanting to connect. And But then when those moments happen and we all have that, it's it's pure magic, right? Where you really connect to your kid and you don't have an agenda. Your kid feels heard. She feels like you, you know, receiving of your energy. He feels grateful that you're his mom. And and there you you feel fulfilled in your role as a parent. Those you're are rare but beautiful moments, you know, and I think we can all strive for those, but not also judge ourselves if we can't have that all the time. In Out of Control, you discuss natural consequences. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about that with our listeners, because I found, sure. you know, you, I feel like conscious, the conscious parent gets a lot of hype and it's an amazing book, but our listeners should know a lot about out of control too, because I feel like there's so many practical tips that you give in that book also. Thank you. Well, it's hard. You know, it's so hard uh, to describe every scenario in, in, a, in a book, right, on parenting. So in a general way, what I like to talk about in terms of consequences is, you know, pay attention to that subtext. You know, are you trying to punish your child and just calling it consequence? Or are you truly doing what is needed in the moment, which really has to do with yourself? So, for example, if your child, let's just take a a behavioral, uh, a temperamental uh, interaction where your child is being constantly negative in her temperament and rude to you, um, and how do you create a, quote-unquote, create a consequence? And then let's take another one where the child is, say, getting a bad grade. So let's take a relational, temperamental, relational consequence. interaction. Your child is rude. She says, you know, I hate you. Or he says, you know, oh, I wish you weren't my mom and bangs the door on you. And then you're sitting there feeling stumped for what do I do now as a parent? And traditional approaches would say, well, ground the kid or take away an iPad or take away an iPhone. And I always tell parents to resist those trite you know, really silly, stupid uh, reactions because they're just coming from your desire to have control. And that's why I call my book Out of Control, that everything is coming out of your desire to have control. It's not really meeting the moment. What does this moment require? So when a child is constantly rude to you or disrespectful, you have to look within yourself and say, well, why is my child feeling the need or, or feeling the freedom to talk to me like this? It could be one of few things. One is that I have obviously allowed myself to be treated like this, right? I have given the impression that it's okay that my child treat me as a human being like this. So, whoa, what have I, what energy have I given off that my child thinks I'm some sort of doormat, Mm. number one. Number two, that's my energy check. You know, what in me gives off this feeling to my child that I'm a slave? That's my energy check. And then number two, you know, what can I do to, to figure out why my child is so disgruntled right now? Like, why is he so pissy? Why is he so unhappy? And that's figuring out what the child needs. So do you see how far off this is from a reaction of, I'm going to take away your phone for being rude? That just takes care of you in the moment to feel like you have control. The deeper introspection is what in my vibration, what in my energy, what in my daily behaviors allows me allows my child to treat me like a doormat. There's something I'm doing that is not coming from a place of parental presence and empowerment and groundedness that my child thinks that, you know, I can talk in whatever way I like to my mom. Either I'm not correcting them in the moment and saying, hey, 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 come back here. Let's talk about why you just talk to me like this. What's going on with you? Because that's not okay with me, right? Taking charge of the moment, but really connecting with where the child is at. And then really sitting with your child and going, wow, you are really like an unhappy human being. And we need to figure out why you think it's okay to talk to me like this and why you feel inside so stressed out. And let's connect with what's going on within you and not letting your kid get off the hook. So really taking charge and having those deeper conversations will correct 
that sort of negative behavior. But it will take a lot of patience on the part of the parent to not immediately have a knee-jerk reaction, take it personally, and ground the child, because that will only build more resentment in the child. It will not take care of the real inner emotional need. And, yeah. and, and when my child is rude, I just always just create awareness. I go, whoa, you're just, I'm in a good place right now, but you are in a really unhappy place, like bad to your karma, like what's going on with you? Let's talk about what's going on inside you. And I just hold the mirror to her and I walk away. And especially with teens and preteens, that kind of constant holding the mirror and detaching and telling them, I'm not going to stand for this, but I'm not going to also go ape on you right now because I can see you're going through something. I'm not going to take it personally. Let's reflect on it. Come back to me later. And 99% of the time, my daughter comes back to me at night and says to me, whoa, I was so mean to you, mom. I'm really sorry. I was just angry about X, Y, and Z. And then we talk about it. And then let's talk about other mishaps. You know, a child gets a C grade or a child forgets something. Again, our knee-jerk reaction is to punish them, calling it consequence. Those things never do anything. My child will tell me, you know, I have clients, children, clients telling me, you know, my child took, my parent took away my iPad because I got a C grade. And what's that going to do? You know, that's not going to help me. Our children need help to develop the skills to either remember better or be more motivated. And they need us to really roll up our sleeves and get in, in the muck with them and help them. You know, punishment is not the answer. Helping them. Why are you getting a C grade? Are you not motivated? Are you feeling too much pressure? Are you anxious? Do you need a tutor? Do you need me to help you talk with your teacher? Finding what the missing link is and being invested in our children's development will make them see that we are on their side. We have their back. You know, I always tell my, children's client, my child clients, you know, we have your back. Don't be anxious. Tell us what's really going on with you. And parent and therapist, both of us together, are going to help you figure it out. And when a child feels that they're not going to be punished, that takes off so much pressure off them that they begin to open up about what they really need, and then we can really help them. Can you clarify the difference between being invested in our children and being helicopter parents? See, there's a huge difference. One is the helicopter parent is doing it out of their desire for control, which is coming from their anxiety, and they want their kid to be something. That's a whole different, that's egoic investment, investment in the parent's own ego. This investment that I'm talking about is being attuned to what the child needs. Like, what does my child need? Does my child need me to step in there and take away the, the, the video games because my child doesn't have self-control? That's a very different kind of investment than saying, I'm going to take away your video games because you got a C grade. Right. It's really asking the right questions. What does my child need for their development that I'm not providing? And how can I provide them what they need so that they may thrive? It's a very internal kind of introspective quest I ask parents to go on versus those knee-jerk reactions that are coming out of anxiety. It's a process. You know, it's a process parents have to go through and parents don't want to go through it because every parent just wants the quick fix. But then, you know, I can't really help the parent. The parent has to be willing to do this deep introspective check-in every moment as much as they can to be fully aware of what their child needs. You know, it's like I feel like parent, parenthood is work either way. So are you going to do the work that makes things exactly. more difficult for yourself? Or are you going to do the work that's going to make things easier and more enjoyable for you and your child? You put on Facebook this question, most of us grew up on a diet of compliance born out of fear. Was this true in your childhood? How has this affected you in your adult life? And, you know, I think that goes hand in hand with what you were just talking about with punishment, to do things because we're fearful of the consequences sets a pattern for our lives that is is a, is just a matter of, it's a ticking time bomb, right? It's super sucky. <laughs> it's not exactly, fun. Exactly, exactly. You know that helicopter parent? That parent is going nuts every day because she's so I know, and, they, and she she's thinks so... she's invested. That's why I had to have, like, I want our listeners to know, like, we had to clarify that because it's crazy. <laughs> She's not invested. invested. She's invested no. in her own in, in the just, ego. She's embedded. She's embedded. She's overscheduled, over enmeshed in her own desire that her children turn out a certain way so she feels okay about herself. 
You know, the, as our children grow older, we need to be, it's so, I'm telling you, my child is 12. I'm telling you both as with young children, I barely parent now the way I used to, because the, if the foundations are already in place, now it's true enjoyment and you get to see the fruits of your labor, conscious or unconscious. And we, it's time for us to trust our children to act out, act on what we've taught them now. How do you transition into becoming her ally as a teenager? from being the parent, from being the source to becoming her ally? Well, I think you start really early. As early as you become conscious, you begin telling them things like, so if they tell you that they, they, uh, you know, mom, I didn't put soap on my body. I'm so sorry. I lied to you. (laughs) Or you catch them in a lie, right? When they're four or five, they're trying to sneak out of putting soap on their, on their body, something so small well, that is the seed for them later on, feeling like you're their ally and they can tell you, mom, you know what, I drank too much and at 16. So when they tell you at four that they made a mistake and you tell them, wow, you're so brave. You know, I applaud you telling me about the lie more than you having done the, the correct thing. Thank you for telling me that you lied because that takes courage. And when your child sees in that moment that you were their ally and that you understood what courage it took, that's how you set the stage up at 12 to back off them and to trust that they will tell you the truth. See, you have to do the work in the moment when they're young. They're not autumn at 14. It's a ticking time bomb, right? By 14, they're so fed up of you that if you've been controlling and anxious, controlling and anxious, if the subtext of your parenting journey has been anxiety and control, then at 14, you've got a ticking time bomb. Who's going to just shut down? They're going to have no interest in you. They're going to be withdrawn from you and they're going to lie to you. And you try catching, uh, you know, a really clever, sneaky 14 to 16 year old. It's going to be impossible. And that's when you realize, whoa. I need to really change course now. And there is still time. It's going to be harder to do at 14 and 16 than at four and six. Uh, but you can still do it. It would mean really creating that trust that your child has lost in you. Your child doesn't trust you, you see, because you said you won't blow up, but you blew up like a crazy maniac every time. My daughter always tells me, Mom, are you, are you in a good mood? Are you sitting down? Can we talk? You know, and children, I feel bad that she even has to set it up like that. But obviously, <laughs> obviously I've messed up that she knows I can be reactive, but it's her way of saying to me, calm down, chill, take a chill pill, and let's look at this in perspective. Don't get angry with me. Yeah. And our children shouldn't have to do that. And I tell her, you don't have to do that. And she goes, yes, I do. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, so even I've messed up that she feels the need to set it up like that. So you both as parents of young children, our children need to trust us, feel at ease with us, that we're going to be present and calm. And then we will do what's fair, but always in conversation, always taking their spiritual beings in, in, you know, in, um, in perspective and not just flying off the handle and being control freaks, because that is the recipe for disaster when they turn teen into adolescence. Right. And I think the danger too, is that if your child does open up to you and does come to a place where they trust you enough to confide in you is to never, ever use that to against them. You know, I don't know, there's parents out there who will, who will divulge information that their kids have told them, you know, as a funny story or, you know, or in a time of punishment, in a time of desperation, they may turn and use. And that's, I think so important is that that whatever that your children do share with you is sacred text, is sacred dialogue um, to be held with the utmost of care. It is, it is. And having said that, we will still mess up. But then yeah. I always tell parents, there's so much opportunity to go back and reconnect and realign and, 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 and get it right again. Our children are ever forgiving. They want connection from us. They're thirsty for it. They may just, as they grow older, the barriers may just get more crusty. But then we go, we go in with a commitment to break down those barriers again and reconnect. Our children will be better for the investment in our creating a spiritual connection with them. It just takes more time, more energy, and more presence from us, but it's so worth it. Yeah. Dr. Shafali, when you have parents that come to you who don't see that, you know, we all know those parents, those parents that uh, don't see that they have anything to do with their child's behavior. How do you how do you initiate that conversation, or how do you begin the dialogue of having parents look at themselves? 
It's very hard. You know, there, yeah. there's nobody more defensive than a parent. You know, they take everything so personally. So, and, they, and then parents tell me, well, how can you tell me not to take it personally when you're making everything personal? So <laughs> it's a lot of growth that parents have to go through. So it's an art. You know, I, I, I try to be gentle with their egos and gently kind of pride open. And I think the way in is to show parents that they were pained as children and kind of take them back to their own pain in their own childhoods because we are quick to see where our parents did wrong and that's a good entryway. And then I kind of gently lead them to, and now this is where you're doing it wrong and this is where you're messing up in the same way your mother messed up. Mm -hmm. And it's a gentle process of awakening, you know, so I make them read my books and, you know, and many parents fire me, you know, they they say, we can't do this or (laughs) "You're, you're you're being so mean to me and it's always my fault and and I understand that they need to be mothered and this is coming from their own lack and inadequate it's really hard you know I have deep compassion I use my own stories my own fallibilities as as entry points Um, but you know at the end of the day if the parent isn't ready they're not ready and that's okay too um, you, you, you know, it's, it's okay for a parent to, to, for me to say to a parent, you know what, I see this is too hard. You know, you can come back later. Yeah. You know, it'll be harder with your children. Your ch- child may be already, you know, running amok on the streets. But if you need to come back later, I can see this is too hard. You know, I, I, I believe that everyone will come to it when they're ready. Well, Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for having us. I have one last question. You mentioned in your books that, you know, that you have a subconscious need to please. And I was curious about your own personal journey in sort of healing that need of people pleasing. I think it's a constant demon. It's a constant demon. You know, I still see people on a bus stop and I have this urge to, you know, stop and give them a ride in my car. I mean, it's that bad. Um, You know, people have looked at me and go, you know, when I've done it, like you're a stalker, you know, so it's this desire to fix and please and rescue. And it's just part of who many of us are. And I think the first step in my awakening on that, for that demon in me was to have compassion for it, uh, recognize when it does come up and kind of put it on the seat beside me and, and talk to it and go, it's okay. You know, you don't have to please right now. You don't have to rescue this person right now. This is about your anxiety. You know, can you take care of that? on your own before I impose it on anyone else. So really keeping it in check. And now I've become, uh, you know, good with, with my inner pleaser and I'm quite ruthless with it. I go, that is, stop it, shut up, get out. You know, now I can be rude with it. But uh, at first I had to be compassionate with it, you know, soothe it, calm it down and, and see that it was coming from this inner child place within within each of us. And we all have it. And but we do need to kind of boundary it. And, you know, we women especially have it on overdrive, on steroids, and we need to kind of cap it and stop it because we will drive everyone around us crazy. And, and in the name of goodwill, we, we do a lot of harm. <laughs> well, Dr. Shafali, on behalf of Ellie and I and all of our all listeners and parents everywhere, thank you for writing such gorgeous literature and helping us to find our way and for just being an amazing, incredible person who has such an open heart and an open mind. It is, it is much appreciated. Oh, thank you both. And thanks for the work you do as well. <laughs> Talk to you later. I'm glowing. That was better than yoga. Her Way voice yoga. is so soothing and she has such a beautiful accent that I have a feeling she could probably say, you know, really shitty things and we'd be like, oh, Dr. Oh. Shafali. <laughs> and yet everything she says makes sense. It makes it sense. feels so good. Yes. Okay. My mom session today is pretty serious. So every episode or most episodes, we have a mom session, which is something that Bianca and I want to share with our listeners that either helps us as parents or that we're just excited about. Today, I'm going to speak about a charity called Linda's Voice. And it's named in the memory of Linda Ann Moore and started by her three daughters, Amanda, Kelly, and Summer. Linda's Voice was established in early 2012 to help women find the strength to leave abusive relationships and lead productive and fulfilled lives. 
Linda was only 40 years old when her second husband, after years of emotionally abusing her, murdered her in cold blood in their home in Texas. Linda left behind three little girls and a message they carry with them today. Domestic abuse, whether physical, emotional, or verbal, is about power and control over a woman, and it destroys a woman's sense of worth and inner strength. Frequently, women feel chained to their abuser and do not know how to leave. The three sisters started Linda's Voice to help women break that chain. And I am actually girlfriends with one of the sisters who started this program. So go to lindasvoice.org to learn more about it. We you goosebumps. All right. We, uh, we have a pretty awesome mom bomb. It comes from Dr. Shafali. No surprise. I mean, we could just fill up podcasts and podcasts and podcasts with our quotes because we all know that I uh, copy and paste them and print them all out. <laughs> okay. So this one is from the end of her book, Out of Control. And I'm going to read the first paragraph and Bianca's going to read the second. Woo-hoo. It's called My Child. My child isn't my easel to paint on, nor my diamond to polish. My child isn't my trophy to share with the world, nor my badge of honor. My child isn't an idea, an expectation, or a fantasy, nor my reflection or legacy. My child isn't my puppet or a project, nor my striving or desire. My child is here to fumble, stumble, try, and cry, learn and mess up, fail and try again, Listen to the beat of a drum faint to our adult ears and dance to a song that revels in freedom. My task is to step aside, stay in infinite possibility, heal my own wounds, fill my own bucket, and let my child fly. So beautiful. (laughs) What a great episode, uh, if I do say so myself. I just, you guys, I, I honestly, um, I bought this book, The Conscious Parent, for so many of my friends. Did I give you one? No. No. Sorry. No, but we talked about it. We, we did talk about, about it about even it. before we had the podcast. Yeah. And uh, it just honestly is such a dream come true to have her on the mm-hmm. show. I mean, um, I, uh, I I feel so lucky that we got to share this with you guys. And, um, and again, get out of control because I feel like... The Conscious Parent overshadows it sometimes just because that was like the first big hit. But yeah. Out of Control is so fantastic for helping our children with with our, with the better way of discipline. Yeah, and discipline, I mean, I'm already like learning that it's so difficult in those moments, you know, especially when they're younger because you, you can feel really lost in it. You f- I mean, it just, most things to me feel so wrong like in they feel innately like this isn't the way I should be handling this um and the way she talks about it is is so organic Mm -hmm. which -hmm. sounds so stupid when I say it but it is it's like a natural way of doing it instead of manipulating or in controlling our children the one thing I I so badly wanted to ask her and there just wasn't time was on uh one of the um Oprah appearances she talked about how her daughter never saw her her report card her own report her card. Her own report card. She never... I know. We should have, I wish we could have talked about grades. Because she doesn't That's, believe in them. Yeah. I like that. I know. All right, dear friends. Until next week. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. And rock, rock on, on Atomic, Atomic Moms. Moms.